you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message.
present, and uh, I could just feel the presence of the Lord. Brother Jeremy Newcomer and others were out, and we were we had our own little group text going yesterday. And Brother Jeremy said, "Man, I feel the presence of the Lord in the room where I am," and I was feeling the same thing, with tears flowing as I was just watching and listening and soaking up the wisdom and the incredible anointing that is upon uh, this wonderful couple. And we're honored this morning to have Bishop and Sister Strout with us here at Christian Life Church. They're going to come this morning and open their heart. Would you welcome Bishop Robert Strout as he comes to preach his heart to us this morning. Come on, CLC. Make them feel very welcome. Somebody go ahead and clap your hands and give our great God the glory of which only he is worthy. Let's lift him high. Let's praise him. Somebody exalt him. Hallelujah. Sister Lytle, did you make that gift basket for us and Ellen? Thank you for putting some junk food in there. I mean, something that people really eat. People like me, fat people, you know. Such a blessing to know you. The Lytles, love you all so much. Newcomers, Brother Gillilands, and I'm sure there's other people have great admiration for this church in this city of Frankfurt. I'm a central Indiana boy. I was raised in Anderson. So uh, I love this part of the state. And I know we used to be both in the same North Central Conference. I don't know if that's still going or not, but back in the day when I was in high school, three or four years ago. But... Uh, I also want to thank you for sending Sister Paula Myers up to us in Merrillville. We are enjoying that lady. And my wife and I pick her up and bring her to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. My wife picks her up for ladies' prayer on Tuesday. And, and uh, do you know her brother and her brother's wife and also one, another one of Paula's sisters have been coming to church pretty regularly. Yeah, it's awesome, thank you. Let's work, uh, look into the word of the Lord. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 1. So enjoyed that leadership thing last night, so enjoyed it. And I believe that what the Lord laid on my heart to 
session is such a tremendous key and I hope that it was beneficial to those who attended. John chapter 1, and the word was made flesh. Let me stop right here. Word was made flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. Please note that, full of grace and truth. And of his fullness, everybody say fullness, of his fullness have all we received. Grace for grace, whatever that means, we can find out and discover. Of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So I want to speak this morning on this. I want to teach my lesson title, and I say lesson and teach because I consider myself to be a teacher preacher, but this is such an important lesson that I, the Lord is preparing us for the greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost at this planet, and uh, he has to get us a little further up the road than perhaps we are right now. So I want to talk about new and improved grace. Would you put your Bibles down, lift your hearts, your hands, your voices, give God some praise right now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, fall in this house. Give revelation, strength, prepare us. Prepare us, Lord, for the great revival, not only for the great end-time revival, but for that millennial reign of Christ where we're literally going to rule and reign with you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, clap your hands one more time. Thank you. You may be seated. I found that a lot of people don't really understand everything that God's grace has made available to us now. New Testament era. For I found that most people think that grace is nothing more than God's unmerited favor that he graciously bestows upon us. And while his grace certainly does include his favor, the fact is that it also makes available to us so much more than just that. So I'd like to look into that here today. In our text in John 1.17, we are told that the law, the Old Testament law, was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So this verse tells us that just as Moses gave us the Old Testament law, that Christ Jesus also gave us something, that being, of course, grace and truth. And it seems rather strange, perhaps, that we are told here that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. 
And I say that because God's grace was actually referred to in the Old Testament long before Jesus ever came to this earth. For instance, in in Genesis chapter 6, we read that Noah, who was obviously an Old Testament character, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the word grace here in Genesis comes from the Hebrew word, C-H-E-N, pronounced Cain, which literally means favor, kindness. So what this verse is saying is that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so this Old Testament grace that Noah and many others received was obviously a good thing, and yet it was somewhat different from the New Testament grace mentioned in our text that has now come to us compliments of Jesus Christ. For while Old Testament grace could help a person want to do right, could help a person desire to do right, it could not give that Old Testament person the ability and power to actually do right. As is explained in Romans 7 where Paul makes reference to the frustration of that person who lived under the dictates of the Old Testament law. Romans seven fourteen. for we know that the law is spiritual, a reference to the Old Testament law. But I am carnal, sold under sin. And then verse 18 says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. You know, it, it, I do have a desire. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. And so that was grace under the Old Testament law. And that's what the scripture says that Moses gave us. And it was a good thing in that God's favor could indeed make people want to do right. But the problem was that it did not offer these same people the indwelling power that they needed to actually do it. But then thankfully, that was not to be the case with this new and improved grace that has now been available to us, made available to us in this New Testament era by Jesus himself. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. For John 1.16 says that now of his fullness have all we received. So you see, there is a fullness of God's grace that Jesus has now made available to us. And, and this is a grace that was not available in Old Testament times. So now, as our text says, of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. That puzzled me. I looked it up. What's that mean? So I looked up the word for. What's that mean? And the Greek word that was translated for here, according to Strong's Concordance, means instead of, in the place of. And so what this verse is telling us is that when Jesus came, he came to replace that Old Testament grace with a new and improved grace, a better grace a more beneficial and more effective grace. And so with that understanding, let's look again at our text. The word was made flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of his fullness have we, all we in this New Testament era, received and grace instead of 
New Testament grace in the place of that Old Testament grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth, this new and improved grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now please understand this verse is not telling us that the law wasn't truth because obviously it was. But the problem was that it wasn't living truth. It was just truth written down. It was just a concept because, you see, truth was not yet something that people could actually live out in their day-to-day lives. It was just a concept. That is, until, as verse 14 said, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so when Jesus came at long last, the Word, the truth, was made flesh, meaning that truth was finally actually brought to life and that truth was at long last actually embodied so that now, for the very first time, truth was something more than just an ideal. Truth was something more than just an unachievable concept. For now, at long last, compliments of Jesus Christ, truth was actually being lived out in the flesh of a human being, Christ Jesus. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. So in the New Testament, the word grace comes from the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, which according to Strong's Concordance, I love my Strong's, it speaks not only of God's favor, although it obviously includes that, but according to Strong's, charis, and I, I want you to take note of this because I'm gonna, it's going to be important throughout my lesson. Charis, according to Strong's, means God's divine influence upon our hearts and its reflection in our lives. Let me repeat that. Grace, according to the meaning of the word charis, means God's divine influence upon our hearts and its reflection in our lives. As I said earlier, the definition we most often hear today for grace is the unmerited favor of God, and yet... Charis or grace, as it's most often translated in the New Testament, cannot be referring to just the unmerited favor of God. And I say that because that word charis is used more than once in regards to Jesus himself. And nothing good that Jesus ever received was unmerited. For instance, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 40, the child, a reference to Jesus, the child Jesus grew and waxed strong, got strong, waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And when we consider the meaning of that Greek word charis, what this verse actually means is that the divine influence, God's influence was upon Jesus' life, and that that divine influence was being reflected within him throughout his earthly life. And Jesus certainly needed that because in his human aspect, even as a child, he had to put genuine effort into first discovering and then actually doing the will of his father. To illustrate this, when he was 12 years old, Luke chapter 2 and verse 46 tells us that it came to pass 
that after three days, Mary and Joseph found the 12-year-old Jesus in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. So he was endeavoring to learn all he could as a result of this quest. And then verse 52 of the same chapter tells us what then happened as he sought to know more about his coming mission. And verse 52 says, Jesus increased, obviously a reference to his human aspect, Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, the Greek word's maturity, he increased in wisdom, he increased in maturity, and in favor. And the word translated favor here is that Greek word charis, which again is the word translated grace throughout the New Testament. So what this verse is telling us is that the young Jesus in his human aspect actually increased in wisdom and in spiritual maturity, and he increased in grace. In other words, he actually grew in grace, meaning that the grace within him did not forever remain at the same level, but rather that it increased within him more and more as he grew in wisdom and in spiritual maturity. And so even though Jesus was God incarnate from the very instant he was born, obviously, and although he was sinless for the very, from the very beginning of his life, there was still a maturing process that he had to go through and that he had to grow through. What I'm saying is that Jesus had to grow up just like any other human being, for he was not born fully grown physically or perhaps strangely enough, even spiritually. He wasn't born full grown. I don't believe, for instance, that Jesus, when he was a child, was yet ready or, or willing to die on a cross. Don't believe that. Don't think the Bible teaches that. Even though he was totally sinless, totally pure, he still was not yet fully prepared for everything that his heavenly father was going to require of him. Because you see, that level of complete surrender, that level of total surrender to his father's complete will was something he would have to, with time, mature into and grow into. The young Jesus would have to grow into some things, like into a full understanding of God's complete plan for his life. And the scriptures indicate that even his spirit, pure as it was, would have to wax stronger and stronger. The Bible said that. Would have to wax stronger and stronger throughout his life in order for him to be prepared for everything that he was going to be called upon to do. Hebrews 5, 8, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And this verse, by the way, was never intended to imply that Jesus was ever disobedient, for obviously he was not. What this verse is saying is that Jesus, in his human aspect, was taught the importance of submitting and submitting more and more to the will of his Father through the things that the Father allowed him to experience and to suffer. He learned to obey. He learned the importance of submitting to his Father's will by the things he suffered. And while these things were never pleasant, they were nevertheless necessary and beneficial to his growth 
and to his understanding. Read it again from uh, 5.8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made or becoming, finally becoming perfect after this growth process, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And so what I believe this verse is telling us is that something was authored, something was actually developed within Jesus in his human aspect through these things that he was allowed to suffer. Jesus became perfect. He became complete. He became fully prepared or fully submitted to whatever he was going to be called to do. And this all developed within him through the things that he suffered. For though he were a son, yet learned he obedience, learned he to submit, learned he to surrender more and more of himself by the things that he suffered. And verse 9, and then in time, being made perfect, being made complete, fully mature, fully surrendered as a result of those things he suffered, he then, after all of that process, he then became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Somebody say praise God. I feel God in the house. And so this verse is telling us that while he himself was in the process of becoming fully surrendered to his Father's will, he was all the while authoring or developing something within himself that he would then in time make available to us in this New Testament church era. And what he was authoring was this new and improved grace of God which is something that he graciously gives us to enable us in this New Testament era to serve God in a way that's acceptable and pleasing to him, unlike the grace of the Old Testament. And reference is actually made to this new and improved grace in Hebrews 12, 28, where it says, let us have grace, this favor, oh no, so much more. Let us have grace whereby or by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And so this new and improved grace that was developed by Jesus does, does so much more for us than what Old Testament grace could ever do. Reference is again made to this improved grace in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation, that's the one I'm interested in, has appeared to all men. Just favor? No. It teaches us. It enables us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust so that we are able by the grace of God now to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord. And so the human experience of Jesus was something that was absolutely essential in order for him to author or develop within himself something that would in time become of so much help to us. For you see, God, apart from his human experience in, in Christ Jesus, could never have offered us this powerful, enabling grace that we would need in this era to overcome the devil 
in our human flesh unless he, God himself, had taken on human flesh. For as it says in James chapter 1, God cannot, God cannot be tempted with evil. And so if God's desire was to give us something more than what Moses had given them in the Old Testament era, something more than a mere knowledge of sin, it would be necessary then for him to experience firsthand himself what it means to be human. It would be necessary for him to know what it's like to experience human tragedy, human sorrow, human grief, yes, even human temptation. These were things he would have to be able to endure as a real, genuine human being if his experience in time was going to be of benefit to us. And so that's exactly what he did, as you well know. For in Christ Jesus, God himself literally became a man. And as, as a real, genuine human being, he experienced it all. Human sorrow, human pain, human suffering, human rejection, human trials, and yes, even human temptation. And each of these new human experiences required Jesus to wax stronger and stronger and stronger in spirit. Each of these human experiences required him to spiritually increase and to grow more and more in the enabling grace of God. This young man, Christ Jesus, who earnestly desired to fully please his heavenly father, discovered things as his life unfolded. He discovered things that would be necessary to make this spiritual growth happen in his life. And when he discovered these things, he would then willingly do, he would willingly surrender, he would willingly do by the strength of that ever-increasing divine influence and of that ever-increasing reflection of that divine influence in his life, whatever it was that needed to be done, while all the while authoring and preparing something for us, something that would in God's time be a benefit to you and to me. For as he did these things, he experienced personal growth and he developed ever-increasing spiritual strength. And thus he continued to grow with every new human experience and grow and grow in this new and improved grace throughout his entire human experience, waxing ever stronger and stronger in spirit. And by the way, nothing came easy for him. For he had to, in his humanity, he had to push, he had to press into the will of God, just like any other human being would have to do. He had to learn patience. He had to grow to a place of endurance throughout this entire growth process from infancy to maturity, both physically and spiritually. And during this entire maturing process, he had to avail himself of every ounce of enabling grace, every ounce of that divine influence that his father made available to him until finally one day he found himself in the Garden of Gethsemane 
facing the prospects of crucifixion, facing the looming reality of very shortly taking upon himself the sins of all humanity, past, present, future. And quite frankly, it was more than Jesus in his human strength was yet equipped to handle. For the scriptures tell us that in the garden that day, Jesus sweat as it were great drops of blood as he pleaded in prayer saying, Father, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Father, if, if there's any other way, that your purpose and will can be fulfilled and accomplished. I'm so very earnestly pleading with you to let this cup pass from me. Oh, Father, Father, oh, Father. And he, as he sweat great drops of blood until finally, after what must have seemed like an eternity, the fullness of God's enabling grace mushroomed within him and with it came the strength the firm resolve that he needed to surrender again this time to fully completely surrender to his father's purpose and for his purpose for having been born oh oh father Father, Father, until finally he could say, nevertheless, 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 he learned obedience, he learned surrender through the things he suffered, nevertheless, until he could say, not my will. So we are told in Hebrews 5 that in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, he was heard in that he feared. And though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. And so, yes, it was on that long-ago day at Gethsemane. We went to Israel a few years back. It was all great. But I was so deeply moved at Gethsemane. For it was there at Gethsemane that Jesus learned once and for all the extreme importance of complete surrender, total Surrender to his father's will. For it was there at Gethsemane that he totally and wholly humbled himself in complete surrender. It was there. You see that his lifelong process of increasing and increasing and increasing in wisdom and of his increasing and growing and growing in grace, it was there 
that this lifelong process of waxing stronger and stronger and stronger in spirit at last reached its apex, its full potential. It was there at Gethsemane that Jesus in his human aspect fully surrendered and became fully obedient, as the scripture says, even unto death. It was there. Gethsemane, that Jesus' quest for the fullness of God's will for his life was found. And so then the next verse explains that final being made perfect. This is where the Father had been leading him throughout his all being made perfect or complete or at last finally surrendered, totally surrendered. It was then that he then but when the process was totally complete, he then became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. In other words, once he had overcome every obstacle that the devil, the flesh, and the world had thrown at him, he then made this new and improved, powerful, enabling grace that he himself had through his life, throughout his entire life, had offered and developed, he made it available to us. Would you lift your hands and thank him for that right now? Ha. Ha. Jesus humbled himself at Gethsemane in the most earnest prayer that has ever been prayed. The scriptures tell us that he was heard because he feared. He was heard, and although he was not delivered from death, you see, he was granted grace. And I'm not just talking about favor. fullness of that powerful enabling influence of his heavenly father to press on into the complete will of God. You see, God's preparing us for something too. And thus, I believe it was on that day that God's powerful enabling grace, this new and improved grace reached its pinnacle. It was on that day that this full strength grace came into existence for where sin abounded grace did that much more abound and if sin ever abounded anywhere you hear me now it was at Calvary where every sin ever committed past present and future was represented and so please hear this it was grace it was grace it was God's enabling grace that gave Jesus the Christ the resolute power that he needed that day to die in my place
fact, we are told this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, that we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that he, by the grace of God, that grace that he had been growing into throughout his entire life, so that he, by the enabling grace of God, should taste death for every man. Would you praise him with me? It was for you he died. And so at Gethsemane, that powerful enabling grace of God that had been developing within Jesus throughout his entire life. It blossomed into its full potential, its full strength. And it was grace. We're talking about this new and improved, powerful New Testament grace that enabled our lovely Savior to take up his cross for our sakes. And so on that long ago day, grace that Jesus had been growing into all of his human life from infancy all the way to Calvary had now at long last reached its full potential, its fullness as it's called in the scripture. For you see this grace, this powerful enabling grace that God would later make available to us through the baptism of the Holy Ghost had to first be developed He had to create it, for no such powerful enabling grace like this had ever existed until it grew and grew, until it reached its full strength within Jesus himself. And thus it can now truly be said that of his fullness have all we in this New Testament era received, and grace for grace this powerful, new, and improved, enabling New Testament grace in the place of, in the stead of, that good and yet insufficient grace found in the Old Testament. For the law was given by Moses, but grace, this new and improved grace and truth, this living truth, came by Jesus Christ. Ah, somebody praise him. spirit that dwelled in Christ that had waxed stronger and stronger within him throughout his life, that powerful spirit that he would later make available to us had to first be fully developed in him. And so here's the good news for us here, here today. The Holy Ghost, that Holy Spirit that the Lord has now made available to us, how many have the Holy Ghost? is not just that yet undeveloped Holy Spirit that dwelt in Jesus as a child. For even though that spirit was perfectly pure, totally sinless, 
but nonetheless had not yet been fully developed into that strong, powerful, enabling Holy Spirit that he has now made available to us. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus, and clap your hands to him. Allow me to make a, a further application here today. Jesus, in his human aspect, I've already said this, was taught the importance of total surrender to the will of his Father through the things that the Father allowed him to suffer. And while these things, as I said earlier, were never pleasant, they were nevertheless absolutely essential to his spiritual for these things that God allowed this man, Christ Jesus, to suffer were designed by God to work together for Jesus' ultimate good. Here's the application for us here today. Everything, everything that the Lord allows us to go through is to help prepare us to fulfill our calling in these confusing, troubling, and difficult end times. We know that all things, somebody say all things. We know, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed. How can I ever become like Jesus except going through some of the stuff he went through? so that we might be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many. So please hear me now. Everything, everything the Lord allows us to go through is meant to help prepare us. How many would like to be everything Jesus wants you to be? Everything that he allows us to go through is meant to help prepare us to grow. Every human experience is designed by the Lord to help us to grow and grow and grow more and more in that powerful, enabling grace that Jesus himself authored for us. All of it is meant to help prepare us to fulfill our high calling in these difficult times leading up to his soon return. 2 Corinthians 4.15, for all things. Somebody say all things. All things. Can't understand why I'm going through this. Let me help you. All things are for your sakes. Everything God has allowed you to go through has been for your ultimate good. So that the abundant grace all things are for your sake so that the abundant grace, and the Greek word for abundant here means increasing. He wants that, that grace that reached its full, full potential in Christ to reach its full, full potential in you. For all things are for your sake so that the abundant grace, the increasing grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound. And the Greek word means superabound. In other words, grow more and more and more to the glory of God for which cause when he's allowing us to go through something we faint not 
for this new and improved New Testament grace that has come to us, compliments of Jesus Christ, is meant by God to help us endure anything. But though our outward man perish, yet this inward man, the Christ in me, is renewed day by day. We wax stronger. We wax stronger as the day of his coming looms before us. It's his design that we wax stronger and stronger. In verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us. Just like it works for Christ. Whatever he's allowing us to go through, it works for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In the light of that, somebody lift your hands and praise him. Let's allow God to help us to see things in a different light with a new understanding. Interestingly enough, in another place in 2 Corinthians, Paul told us that the sufferings of Christ, really? The sufferings of Christ abound in us. I mean, there's a second earthly body. The sufferings of Christ abound in us. And the Lord sometimes allows these sufferings to abound in us. And he allows them to abound in us, I believe, for the same reason that they abounded in Christ himself. That being so that he might develop within us that same fullness of enabling grace that was developed in Jesus. I'm talking about that super abounding fullness of grace that he authored for my sake. And so again, Paul said that the sufferings of Christ abound in us. And if that was ever true of anyone on this planet, it was certainly true of the Apostle Paul, who said, Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep, and on and on he went, telling us about those things that he had suffered in his life. And then in the next chapter, the 12th chapter, he said, and lest I should become exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me by our gracious God, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted. I mean, God's using me so powerfully, he had to do something to keep me humble, lest I destroy my, my own soul. And for this thing, I didn't understand it at first, Paul said, so for this thing, I besought the Lord three times in Jesus' name. I rebuke this in Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Say thank you, Jesus. Except I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation that was given to me a thorn in the flesh. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that I might that it might depart from me if it be possible. But 
you ever prayed, felt sometimes if you were sweating as it were great drops of blood? My God, what is this all about? God, I just can't understand this. If there's any other way. But the Lord said, my grace. Favor? Oh, no, so much more than just favor. My grace is sufficient for thee. That grace that enabled me to go to Calvary, that that grace that was developed in me, that I authored for you through my own suffering, is sufficient for you, Paul. That all-sufficient grace that enabled me to face Calvary's cross can and will now enable you to endure this. Paul, trust me, this is for your ultimate good. You need this. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Can't let you get puffed up. Well, once I understood... Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. That Greek word translated infirmities, there's some, sometimes translated sickness in the Bible. Once I understood that God has a purpose and everything's for my sake, then I just glory in, even in my infirmities so that the power of Christ, so that the enabling grace of Christ could rest upon me. So again, Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. And so it was also with Paul who said in Philippians 4.11, I have learned. I mean, Jesus learned through what he suffered, and I have learned. I have learned. You see, God's trying to teach us something. I have learned in whatsoever state I am. All things are for my sake. So I just let it unfold. You see, God's will to stay connected to him that I don't get all shook up. For now, I've learned through the things I've suffered to surrender more and more. I've just surrendered. So now I know how to be not only blessed, but I know how to be abased. I've learned that. I've not always known that, but I know how to now. And now, through this ever-increasing grace, I know how to, how to abound, how to be abased everywhere in all things. All the things I've been going through, I am instructed. I've learned through the things God's allowed me to suffer. All of these things I've suffered have taught me some things that I needed to learn everywhere. And in all things, I am instructed to be full, to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And through it all, I've learned, this is what I've learned, that I can now do all things. I can now endure anything. I can do I can do all things through Christ. Through that enabling grace, you see, that he authored for me, that he developed for me. Somebody give him praise right now. Ah. of what Jesus developed for us 
that means that you and I can now say along with Paul, I can do all things. I have the spirit of Christ within me. I can do anything by that spirit, anything that allow, that God allows me to go through, through Christ who has provided me with this powerful, new, and improved, enabling grace that he offered, offered for my sake. That's why Paul, you see, could sit in the Philippian jail with stripes on his back and still sincerely and earnestly sing praises to God. And because I'm content, I've learned that whatever he allows me to go through, something good is going to come from it. I recently retired from 70 or 45 years as pastor in Gary and later we moved to Merrillville, Northwest Indiana. And during those 45 years of pastoring in Merrillville, my dear wife and I learned a lot through the things we suffered. I mean a whole lot. Don't misunderstand. I mean we had some truly great things happen, amazing things that took place during those 45 years and I'm so thankful. But I must tell you that it was in those many times when our faith was tested. You hear me now. Often severely tested until we couldn't even lift our heads. But it was in those times that we grew. And although those testing times were never, ever pleasant, that they were always working together for our good. And so now today I can truly say, although I have a long way to go to be like my Jesus, that nevertheless, I would not trade the man that I am now at 76 years of age for the man that I was when I first accepted that pastor 46 years ago at 30 years of age. What I'm saying is that the things I've suffered down through those years, although not enjoyable, have been used by God to make me a stronger Christian A more resolute and determined man who is so much better equipped to deal with the difficulties and problems, the tests and the trials than I was when I first came to Gary, Indiana in 1976. For you see, we wax stronger and stronger in this new and improved enabling grace of God through the things that the Lord allows us to suffer. Let me close with this. A few years ago, during the first year of the pandemic, Raymond Woodward posted a prophecy that God gave to Sister Claudette Walker, who was our classmate at ABI. And Brother Woodward te tested this. And it was a prophecy that God gave to Claudette, and Claudette's a godly lady, and Raymond wanted to put that on there so that people that didn't know Claudette would say, hey, we can trust this. Gave it to Claudette in church service on November 29th, 2020, 2020, shortly after our country's elections. And of course, at a time when our lives were 
still being greatly disrupted and interrupted by the pandemic. And just listen closely, and then I'm going to step away from this pulpit. But here's what the Lord said to his end-time church. My precious children, I would say to you today that I understand that you do not understand. Many of us were surprised by the election in November of 2020. He said, I, I, I would say to you today, I understand that you do not understand. I feel your confusion. I feel your evidence. You've cried out to me, but many of the things that you've asked of me, I have denied. I understand that this is difficult for you. My call, call unto you today, my children, is to trust me. I am asking you to trust me. I have you in a spiritual gym, and I'm adding weights to the barbell each day. This is not because I'm an uncaring father, but because I'm a loving father. I know how strong your spirituals must be to endure these last days. And so I add more weights and more weights to the barbell. For your faith muscles must exert, and of course exert means to be put into vigorous action, to exercise. Your faith muscles must exert. Your faith muscles must exert and become stronger to fight and to stand in this day when the spirit of Antichrist is exponentially growing, increasing every day. The war is raging, my children. I am preparing you to become victors. Do not despise the process. Let me repeat that. Not always pleasant, but the Lord says, do not despise the process that I am putting you through, for I am causing you to lift heavy weights, and every time that you lift the weight and declare my word, in spite of how you feel, your faith in me grows. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord, so I urge you to bathe yourself every day in my word. Cling to my word. Speak my word in spite of what you see and your faith will grow. You will not only make it through these last days, but you will be strong and do exploits. The prophecy continued with the Lord saying, I must not pamper you. I must not coddle you but I must train you. My coming is nigh, even at the door. Yet before I come, there will be a great outpouring of my spirit. I am preparing you to bear the weight of my glory. Stand against these evil spirits that come against you, my children. Although I allow heaviness upon the inhabitants of the earth, this day I am raising you up, for I am training you. Now I ask you, when I come, will I find faith on the earth? The enemy is trying to sever your faith, for that is your lifeline to me. Whatever you must do, do not allow that to happen. Cling to my word. Cling to me like never before. I am requiring blind faith from you. When you walk in darkness, still trust in the light of my promises. Be patient, my children. I love you with an everlasting love. I love you so much. I am training you to stand and to trust in the process of my plan. Let's stand to our feet and lift our hands to the Lord.
on, let's lift our hands and surrender. Have thine own way. Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me. Oh, mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Lift your hands to the Lord and give him glory. spoken. There are many in this room that need to just say yes this morning to the new and improved grace that God has given you, this New Testament experience. It's available to you. It is here for you. I want you to take your neighbor by the hand. If you need that grace this morning, why don't you walk to the front of this room together? And why don't you say yes to God's plan? He's working everything for your good. He's working it for your good. Oh, that's it. Don't linger. Don't wait. Respond now. He's for you. He's not against you. Ah, oh, yes, that's it. There's room for more. There's room for more. There's room for more.
on your side this morning. 